Good morning. Looking good out there today. Uh, please join me in uh, Romans chapter 9. We'll be in uh, verse 1, going through the uh, entire chapter. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, and that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accused from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises? For whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God? Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise and counted as the seed. For it is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but one Rebekah also has conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the pursuit of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, is it not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy? For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have risen you up, that I may show my power and purpose. I have risen you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name shall be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to him then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed said to him who formed it? Why have you made him like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? For the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God wanted to show him wrath and to make, him pow- make his power unknown? Enduring with much long suffering the vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even as whom he calls, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. He has said also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and he, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where I was said to come, you are not my people. They, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cried out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea, 
the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the works and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of fault? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but at it but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be part to shame. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all together here, Lord. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity and the ability to praise you, Lord, and to worship you, Lord, free of prosecution or, or anything that may stand in our way, Lord. I pray that you open the hearts and the minds of us today, Lord God, so that we can receive your word and, and understand your word, Lord God. Let us go out into the world and, and share your love, share your good news, Lord God. I pray that you uh, be with us here today, Lord God. and and just rain down blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles with you, I invite you to stay open there in Romans chapter 9. The reason that, uh, that Levi got the lucky draw to read the whole chapter is to uh, to help us prayerfully keep in context what we're doing as we take a look at it. So many times when uh, when folks come to Romans 9, 10, and 11, they treat it as though it's part of a different book, that it's uh, some kind of subsection. And really it's not, and prayerfully we're going to see as we, uh, as we work our way through that that's true. Remember, we begin, we closed out Romans chapter 8, which dealt with the righteousness of God. And then as we come into Romans chapter 9, there's a a big question being asked. Well, if there is now therefore no condemnation, if there is no separation to those who are in Christ Jesus, then what about Israel? And so in chapter 9, he begins to talk. First, Paul tells us about his sorrow, that he is brokenhearted over his countrymen, that, that they don't believe. And as we've worked our way through that, he talked about the fact that God selected corporately... You don't like my flip-flops, babe? You're shaking your head on my feet. Man. I always know I'm in trouble when I look in the crowd and my wife is going like this. That can't be good. Okay. What? Is this better? There. <laughs> all right, we've got the word open, so we are on holy ground. Okay, <clears throat> the second thing we saw was the corporate election of the nation that God chose Israel to bring the seed through. Remember, we talked about Messiah. The seed is the Messiah, the blessing through which He's going he's to bless all the world. 
all the nations are going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham, or the seed of Isaac, or the seed of Jacob, all those pointing to the Messiah, the one through whom salvation would come to the world, which we've just been talking about in Romans 1 through 8, right? Then he talks about the third part, and that is the sovereignty of God in God's choice of Israel and God's decision to give mercy to whom He will give mercy and compassion to whom He will give compassion. You see, the nation of Israel felt like they had a special deal, a special dispensation with God so that they were saved by birthright. They were saved because they, they followed a path of righteousness. And nowhere did God tell them that. That was what they believed. And so we see that, that section of Scripture we talked about last time. Of God's sovereignty. That God could open up the opportunity for the gospel to all the nations. That was a mind blower and a deal breaker for Israel. Well, you're going to have Gentiles in here? You're going to allow sinners? And the problem is, whenever that's the attitude, especially we need to guard ourselves, because as we work our way through Romans 9, 10, 11, we're going to see Paul give the same charge to the church. Be careful that you don't learn from the history of Israel and think that you should start looking down your nose at other sinners. One of the songs that we shared this morning talks about the fact that we're all broken. All of us are broke. We might be broke different ways, but we're all broken. And we're all need of the touch, of the healing of the Master's hand. And if we don't have that, we don't have anything. We need that. Everyone around the world needs that. And, and when we come to understand and recognize the value of it, man, it really helps us zero in on the, on the beauty and the treasure that's Christ. Well, today as we look at the end... Of Romans chapter 9, we've seen the, the corporate election, the sovereignty of God to open up the gospel to others, to close off the gospel on, on, uh, uh, to Israel for a period of time, to, to reach out to the Gentile people. We see all that going on. Then we come to the, the, the section today where the scriptures prophesied about the rejection of Israel and the, the stumbling of Israel over the rock. There's only one rock. The Bible talks about the rock everywhere. Old Testament, New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us who the rock is. You'll notice at the end, he said, if you believe on the rock, what did he call the rock? An it? No, he said, if you believe on him. So the rock is a person. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock is Christ. It's Jesus Christ. It's coming to that faith in him. So let's take a look at the scriptures that prophesy... Israel's rejection as we begin in Romans chapter 9 verse 25 and so he says also in Hosea I will call them my people who are not my people and her beloved who was not beloved and it will come to pass in the place where it was said to them you are not my people there they shall be called the sons of the living God the first thing we come to is the understanding, it, scripturally, what Scripture declares, who are God's people. Now, as we look at Hosea, Hosea was very specifically tasked by God to do something that a lot of people would think are incredible. In fact, as you guys are working your way through the minor prophets, I don't know if you're planning on stopping in Hosea later on or not, but Hosea is a minor prophet. It's around 12 chapters. Minor or major prophets are divided by how long the book is, not by they were better or, or lesser. So 
the minor prophet Hosea was called by God to marry a woman of ill repute. To marry a prostitute. To make her part of his family. And to become an object lesson for the nation of Israel for how they treated their husband, God. In the Old Testament, the Bible declares to us that God is the wife of Israel. And so we see this, this life uh, um, the example of it seen in Hosea as he, as he has this woman who won't be faithful to him and has, as God has a nation who won't be faithful to him. They're God's chosen people, elect of God, chosen by God. But they are going to reject him as we saw even with the Messiah. So if you look at Hosea chapter 1, we're going to go through just a few of the verses there beginning at verse 2. Hosea 1 beginning at verse 2 through 11. It says, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows. God sows. It's also the name of a valley. Maybe you've heard before, as we've studied through the word, the Jezreel Valley. It's also known by another name. This one you're probably more familiar with. It's known as the Plain of Megiddo, or Har Megiddo. Revelation calls it Armageddon. So he says, name your, your first child Jezreel. It's a place where many battles have taken place in the history of Israel. And then he goes on and says, For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Now if you guys don't know what's going on, Jehu was used as a tool of the judgment of God to judge the northern kingdom. Elijah, you guys remember the story when Elijah was hiding in the cave? And he's hiding in the cave and he's thinking, uh, um, you know, Lord, I can't do this no more. I'm the only guy left. Nobody else believes. And God tells him, no, I got 7,000 who still haven't bowed a knee to Baal. And then he tells Elijah, I'm going to finish the work you started through the sword of Jehu and the prophecy of Elisha. He declares to him through whom the judgments would come upon the people that he had been long-suffering with. And you remember, we just talked about that. What if he waited with long-suffering on the vessels fit for destruction? That, that phrase in the scripture in Romans chapter 9 that says they're fit or prepared for destruction, that doesn't mean someone prepared them for destruction. All you got to do is open up the Greek and you take a look at it. What it means is they have prepared themselves for destruction. That they have brought themselves to that point. And God in His long suffering has waited just like He waited and He turned Jehu loose. And Jehu becomes the sword of judgment on the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. But God, just because He allows someone to be the sword of judgment upon His people, does not mean He doesn't hold that sword responsible for what they do. So God says through Hosea, Hey, this, this child that you've named Jezreel, I want you to know he's a sign, he's a symbol that I am going to avenge the bloodshed in the valley of Jezreel that Jehu brought. 
that Jehu brought. I'm going to bring that judgment. I'll bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruchamah. No mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and will save them uh, by the Lord their God, and will not save them by, by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned lo Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. And God said, Call his name Lo-Ami. No people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it will be said to them, You are sons of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. God kind of gives them an overland in Hosea, the nation of Israel, their history. He says, look, there's going to come a time and I'm going to judge the people and they're, they're going to be spread to the four corners of the world, but there will also be a day. When I will gather up my remnant. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. Over and over again here in Hosea. What he's emphasizing is not everyone who calls himself Israel. Is of Israel. Only those of faith. Are Israel. Just being born isn't enough. In Hosea 2.23, listen, he goes on and says, Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Remember the girl named No Mercy? He says, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy, and I will say to those who are not my people, remember the boy's name, No People? I will say, You are my people, and they will say, You are my God. There's a day of restoration for the nation of Israel. God is long-suffering solely for the purpose that whosoever will may be a part of that family. That's why God waits. That's why God's judgment doesn't come. That's why Christ isn't seen in the clouds yet. There's a lot of people lost. And we still have a job to do. To go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that Jesus commanded. For lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, Jesus declared. That's our job. We got a lot of things we got to do to make a living, to free us up to do that job. The question is, are you doing that job? Or is your job something else? Does your job fit in some other way? Are your goals different goals than what the Lord has laid out for us? Because there are people perishing. 
And how will they know if you don't tell them? The call that God has given to us to share. So when we look at this context in Hosea, we see the northern kingdom of Israel being judged of God. Hosea takes an adulterous wife, a prostitute, who's not faithful to him. The question is, and you remember in the beginning of Hosea chapter 1, he said children of harlotry. A lot of people believe that none of these children are his. That they are his by by, um, adoption, but not his by birth. He's not their father. Children of harlotry. Jezreel. Lo Ruhama. And Lo Ami all become a picture of the nation of Israel. And what God's judgment is going to come and how it's going to fall on the northern kingdom. And as we look at this concept of, of judgment and sin and, and idolatry and all the stuff that's going on up there, if we want to hold on to an to a, a understanding of, of the overall point of Hosea, then we've got to continue to look. We're going to back up from 2.23. We're going to look at Hosea 2.19 and 20. Because three times God says something to the nation that, that becomes the overarching theme as we look at the nation of Israel and their rejection of Messiah and are they rejected by God or not and how does the plan of salvation work for Israel, which is what chapter 9 has been all about. Then we look at Hosea chapter 2, 19 and 20. Three times God's going to say, I will betroth you. And those three times are built around three essential components about God and His relationship with the nation of Israel. Let's look at it. Hosea 2, 19 and 20. I will betroth you to me for how long? Forever. That's a long time, right? So is there ever a time when God is done with the nation of Israel? Never. There will never be a time when He is done. But not everyone who calls himself Israel is Israel, right? Scripture goes on. Next part, the second betrothal. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. First, we see that God's betrothal is eternal. Secondly, we see that God's betrothal is according to God's character. Look at those four aspects of God's character. His righteousness. His justice. His loving kindness. Which by the way is a Hebrew word chesed. Which is the closest equivalent in the Greek is the word agapeo. The self-sacrificing love of God. His loving kindness can also be considered His grace and love. And then finally His mercy. These are the characteristics of God by which He has betrothed Israel. It doesn't mean that there won't be judgment and there's not going to be times of silence and that God's not going to be bringing times of correction. But through it all, there's always a remnant. There's always a group that believes. Remember Elijah was in the cave and he thought, I'm the only one left. But God said, i got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one left. He always has a remnant. And then the third betrothal there in verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. So the betrothal of God is eternal. It is according to His character. 
And it is according to God's faithfulness. Now how faithful is God? So what about when His people aren't faithful? Does God continue to be faithful? What about if you're not faithful? Does God continue to be faithful? Yeah. God's faithfulness will not change. He cannot deny His character. He is a faithful God. He will keep His promises. We will not ever earn them. He will always keep them. This betrothal. So Hosea is laying all of these things out for us. So that when we come to 925 and he says, I will call them my people who are not my people. He's referring not only to what one time was the nation of Israel. But he's referring to though, though there is a time where God's going to put Israel aside. He is going to bring them back again. He will always have... A remnant. What about in the church? Will there always be a remnant in the church? Absolutely. God declares there will always be a remnant. There have been some dark times in the history of the church, folks. There have been some times you go back and look over church history and you think, how in the world did the church survive? Because there is always a remnant. Well, what? Does everybody who calls himself a Christian, are they a Christian? No. A lot of people call themselves Christians. I was almost going to say something political, but I'm not going to. I will bite my tongue. No, maybe I won't. <clears throat> yeah, I will. <laughs> so we see God's people. God's people who are given the judgment to not be His people will once again be called His people again. He's also using it to refer to the Gentiles. People who are not of the people of God. They're going to be called. The ones that are set aside. We're going to see this. Romans 9, 10, 11. You really got to keep your mind set on the overall context of these three chapters. Because you've got God speaking of the rejection of Israel. And then you've got God talking about the, the, the receiving of the Gentiles. And then you've got God talking about the restoration of Israel in those three chapters. Which helps us understand how the righteousness of God in that beautiful picture of salvation in Romans 1 through 8 is applied through the Gentile world and the world of Israel. And how it's all going to be wrapped up in a bow and brought together. And that's what those chapters are laying out for. So we see God's people in this first section where the scripture is speaking about their rejection. And then we see God's promise. Look at verse 27 says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. That's God's promise. What we've been talking about. He always has a remnant. He always has those people in the midst of the reality of, of salvation, whether speaking of the nation of Israel or of the church, He always has those people who pretend who bear the name, nations, who call themselves Christian nations, who have no business. But in the midst of all that, he always has a believing remnant. People who are true, who are real. That's why Jesus says over and over again, don't deceive yourself. That's the worst deception of all. To deceive yourself into believing, I have a relationship with God because I go to church. Or I have a relationship with God because I was baptized. Or I have a relationship with God... Because I prayed a prayer. It goes beyond all those things. 
It may encapsulate all of that. That may all be a part of it. But salvation is by faith in Christ alone. In His finished work, what He has done, what He has accomplished. And so as he looks, he says, there will always be a remnant, a group that believes. Look at Isaiah chapter 10, 20 and 22. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, and such as have escaped from the house of Jacob, will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God, For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Though judgment come, God always knows how to save the righteous and hold the wicked for judgment. He knows how to do it. He's been doing it a long time. It goes on in Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Again, he's talking about that the reality that we are, are witnessing in our, our lifetime today as God is drawing Jews back to the land of Israel. Does that mean the land of Israel is perfect today? That everything they do is right and following God? No, absolutely not. Less than 10% believe. I said it's the beginning of the work. The culmination of the work we see spoken of in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 13 verses 8 and 9. Here's what the word declares. And it will come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two thirds in it will be cut off and die. But one third will be left in it. I will bring the one third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. And test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name. And I will answer them and say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. See, the choice of salvation is personal. But as we look at this section, what it's talking about is the end of days. So we see the beginning, God drawing the nation of Israel back into Israel. But the Bible tells us that there is coming the 70th week of Daniel. The seven year period that people call the tribulation period. That people get all wrapped around the axle over. I don't understand why. If you want to get wrapped around the axle later, feel free. We'll, we'll come talk to me. We'll wrap around the axle over it. But... Let me describe to you what the Bible describes. The 70th week of Daniel is that final seven year period of time in which God's going to turn His eyes to the nation of Israel. He's going to purify the nation of Israel. He's going to take the nation of Israel and bring them back into Himself so that He can say, all of Israel has been saved. Why everybody wants to put the church in there, I have no idea. You read the book of Revelation, the church is prevalent in Revelation 1 two, three, and then she is gone. Not mentioned again through the rest of the book as God turns His attention back to the 144,000 who are what? 12,000 of each of the 
12 tribes of Israel. Sounds Israeli, Jewish to me, doesn't it? I don't know, it's just a crazy idea. But what people want to do is they want to use what's called replacement theology. And they say, God's done with Israel, and now all those things that are about Israel are about the church. That's not true. Israel is the wife of God who is unfaithful, who God, like Hosea, is going to bring back to Himself. The church is the bride of Christ. The chaste bride of Christ. Who is going to be presented to Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19 when we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. As far as I'm concerned, the church is with Jesus from the moment Revelation chapter 4 says, Come up here until Revelation 19 when Jesus presents His bride. To the world, who is now under his rule as he reigns as king on the throne of David. So when we look at Zechariah, we say, what's going to happen during that period of time? Two-thirds of the nation of Israel is going to die under intense persecution and starvation and warfare and all the stuff that's going to be on during that time. So the Lord says, I'm going to bring them through the fire. The third that are true, the third that are real, I'm going to bring them through the fire, and that is Israel. Still under a relationship with God Almighty by faith. It's the only way you have one. Old Testament from the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. All the relationships with and through God come the exact same way. So we see God's promise. He's going to continue to work with the nation of Israel. Let's look at Romans 9, 28. We see God's plan. For He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. That's an interesting quotation. It is uh, contributed to Isaiah. We don't know exactly where. Uh, You can feel free to try to find it. You will have a hard time doing so. But as we look...